You're listening to the Catholic Fragments Podcast, where we explore the treasures of Catholicism, the fullness of truth revealed in Jesus Christ and His Church. I'm your host, Dr. Donald Wallenfang, and I invite you to join me in gathering up the fragments of the truth that sets us free. Pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A reading from St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 8. We know that all of us possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if one loves God, one is known by him. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Gianna Barretta Mola, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome, everyone, to this edition of the Catholic Fragments Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Donald Wallenfang. A great pleasure to be with you again. This episode, as you'll notice, is a little different. It's focusing on Scripture, the biblical text, specifically Psalm 139. Perhaps my favorite of all, out of all the 150 Psalms, it's my favorite And I'm really very excited to share about this psalm and do a little biblical exegesis. It's a fancy word that means a little biblical interpretation and a bit of a deep dive into the meaning of this biblical text, originally composed by King David in the Hebrew language. So in this podcast, you're going to hear seven different languages at least fragments of seven different languages, when I show how I like to go about Lexio Divina, how I like to go about divine reading, reading the biblical text with a variety of languages in order to try to retrieve this resonance of meaning that we find pouring forth from the inspired Word of God. So it's been said that Catholics don't read the Bible. Well, I want to help dispel that falsehood. And in fact, I can say by the grace of God, I've read through the entire Bible twice. Through a one-year Bible reading plan, I've done it two different times, and I've read through so many different texts of Scripture over and over. In the Second Vatican Council that happened in the Catholic Church, when all the bishops from around the world gathered in Rome, between 1962 and 1965, off and on in session, they produced a very important document. It's a constitution on divine revelation called Dei Verbum in Latin, on the Word of God. And it encourages all the faithful to read the Bible in full if possible, but at least with great frequency. As followers of Christ, Our daily lives should be filled with the biblical texts. It should be a kind of daily bread for us, no doubt about it. 
So I'd like to start featuring more excerpts from scripture in the Catholic Fragments podcast, as well as excerpts from the writings of the saints and other documents of church teaching. This is so much fun, I must say. So Psalm 139, I need to give you a little backstory about this psalm and why it's so meaningful to me. In the year 1997, I got to visit one of my good friends growing up, Craig and Muldoon in Sweden. When he was 15 years old, he felt called to be a missionary in Sweden. And you may know this, but a lot of people in Sweden don't believe in God. There's a real strong atheistic current that runs through the culture there, very secular. And so my friend Craigan went and lived with a pastor in the Salvation Army Church and his wife and family. And he was there for many months. And I got to visit him. I got to visit him in the summer of 1997. And when I was there, we were praying in a group one evening toward the end of my visit. And the, the pastor of the Salvation Army Church, his wife were there, Craigan was there, some other young people. And the Holy Spirit seemed to move Pastor Shell's wife to say that she had a word that she thought God wanted to speak to me. And that word was Psalm 139. And I'll never forget that. This remains a psalm near and dear to my heart. I treasure so much. And I went to look at this psalm. I think I may have read it before. But it just speaks to the uniqueness of each one of us, myself included. It speaks to the specialness of each one of us, that God knit us together in our mother's womb. Fearfully and wonderfully are we made. Then the next year at Albion College studying music theory, one of the assignments was to write a piece of music, a vocal piece with piano accompaniment. And I chose part of this one, the Psalm 139 to be the text of the song. And I still remember the melody somewhat. I may have a recording of this somewhere on cassette tape or something, but I would have to dig it out. But in any case, this psalm has really spoke to me throughout the years, all the way to the present day. And as I chose it for this podcast episode, I asked myself, what message do I think my listeners need to hear today, this week? And this was the message I think that I need to share I see this podcast as as a work of evangelization, not just Catholic theological trivia or something, but I want to get to the heart of the good news, the good news revealed to us in Jesus Christ and his church. And this happy message of the gospel that God is saying to us through Jesus, you are so loved by God. You are the beloved of God. The Lord knows everything about you and loves knowing everything about you. In fact, because God knows you, 
You exist. You are the beloved child of God the Father by way of creation and even more, adoption. So let's go to this Psalm 139, the Psalm of King David, starting in verse 1. As I promised, you're going to hear seven different languages in this podcast. And the first here, besides English, so number two is Hebrew. And King David writes in Hebrew, Adonai kakartani vateda. Lord, you search me and know me. This first word in Hebrew, to search, to probe, to examine, to investigate. It's translated all these different ways in different English translations. In the French, Seigneur, to regard jusqu'au au fond de mon cœur. Et ou c'est tout de moi. Lord, you look to the bottom of my heart. Here we have in the French translation. And you know everything about me. You know everything about me. And then the German. Er, du durchschaust mich. Du kennst mich bis auf den Grund. Lord, you see right through me. You know me to the core. I love getting in all these different languages because each one adds a layer of meaning to the text. It's all there, really, in the Hebrew. It just it needs to be squeezed out, all this meaning. It needs to be poured out through these different languages. This is a great way to study the biblical text looking at different translations, so we get all these different layers of meaning. But we see the way God knows us is so intimately, so closely, so completely. And that's how we want to be known, isn't it? And we realize that no other human being in this world can know us this way. It's impossible. It's impossible. Even... One spouse, this is something my wife Megan and I have talked about before, that there's a solitude within the soul that only God knows. And it's meant to be that way. And it's okay. So these expressions we find, Lord, you search me, you know me, you know me to the bottom of my heart, everything, you see right through me. You know me to the core. Verse 2, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. So here we have an expression in Hebrew comprising the whole of one's life and activity. When I sit down, when I rise up, everything I think. Moving on to verse 3. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. And when we read the word Lord in English here, it's all capital letters, which, and I saw the Hebrew, it, it's the called the tetragrammaton. The, the four letters that signify 
the sacred name of God, revealed to Moses in the theophany of the bush that was aflame but not consumed. And the Hebrew letters are Yod Het Vav Het. In English, we say Lord. And again, this is a, a name of God so sacred, the Jewish people to this day do not pronounce it out loud, but instead say Ha'adonai or Hashem, the Lord or the name, the holy name of God. Verse 5, You beset me behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Again, this meaning that God surrounds us. It reminds me of the prayer of St. Patrick. Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ at my left, Christ at my right. But in Hebrew here, it's akor vakedem taretani vatashet alai kapekach. You beset me behind and before and lay specifically the hollow of your hands upon me. And the sense we can get of this is God sets us in the hollow of his hand, holds us, keeps us, makes room for us in his divine life by creating us and desiring to redeem us, to keep us in the fold of his hand. Verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. This is to say when we contemplate these things about God, about God in relation to us, the knowledge is so saturating, so vast. It's impossible to think it to the end. Verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. This is so beautiful. It's a description of a God who is not distant, who is not removed from our daily living. God is right there with us through everything. And through Jesus, this takes on a whole new meaning because Jesus is God, literally, Emmanuel, God with us in the flesh. And through God, the Holy Spirit is revealed through Christ it takes on even further meaning, God within us. As St. Paul says that we are living temples of the Holy Spirit. Or St. Teresa of Avila, our soul is an interior castle where God, our King and Lord, dwells. So these verses 8 and 9, this language of heaven in contrast to Sheol, the abode of the dead, in verse 8, we get the vertical axis. That is between the zenith, the highest point, heaven, and Sheol, the lowest point of the earth. The nadir, the lowest point of the earth. Then in verse 9, the psalmist talking about the wings of the morning. 
and the uttermost parts of the sea. This is the horizontal axis. So no matter where we are, and it's also to say no matter what we're going through, God is right there with us as intimately as ever. As King David says, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. Verse 11, if I say, let only darkness cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. So much reason not to be afraid of the dark, so to speak. And even the darkness of situations and the darkness of death and tragedy and loss. God's light is there present as ever. Even interpreting darkness as a condition of possibility for the light of God to shine forth and do something about things and resurrect life in a situation that has gone bad. Then verse 3, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Verse 13, The Latin here, Quoniam tu possedisti renes meos orsusque es me in utero matris mee. This is very interesting. When we get into the Hebrew and the other translations that are more literal, for you possessed my kidneys and bore me in my mother's womb. So the word here in this uh, Revised Standard Version translation in English says my inward parts, but literally it's my kidneys. You formed my kidneys. You possessed them in the, in the Latin and you bore me in my mother's womb. In the Tanakh translation, the Jewish translation of, of the Hebrew into English, we read, it was you who created my conscience. In the ancient world, the kidneys were a symbol, symbolic part of the body that signified the conscience of a person, that place of moral discernment the place of deepest conviction within the self. And you fashioned me in my mother's womb. All of these meanings intertwined through the text. It is so rich, it is so wonderful to contemplate those early incipient stages of human life from conception and infancy Nine months, give or take, in a mother's womb. The human being, the human being fully alive. Then moving into verse 14, I praise you, for I am wondrously made. Wonderful are your works. So here I'm going to bring in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew. It's kind of a mouthful for an English speaker. Exomologesomai soi hoti foberos mastothen, which is to say, I confess or acknowledge or admit 
or give thanks or sing praise to you that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Or you could say I am fearfully made wonderful. This is the truth about your being. You who are listening to my voice. This is what God is saying to you. You are fearfully made wonderful. You have been made wonderful. You are wonderful. Yes, our sins distort this image of God in us. And we often forget how wonderful we have been made. But it is the truth of our being. And even our sins do not disfigure this truth beyond the point of recognition. The grace flowing through the sacraments of the church restores the truth about the image of God that we are. Moving into verse 15, you know me right well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So here, what is this book in which all of my days were written, even before they came to be in chronological time? According to the medieval Jewish French Rabbi Rashi, this is the book containing all of the people ever to be conceived that God showed to Adam. And according to the medieval Jewish Spanish rabbi Ibn Ezra, the book spoken of here by the psalmist is the blueprint according to which the person is formed. All of these meanings here about the book in which all my days were written even before any of them came to be historically. Then verse 17, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. So this verse 17, hearing from the Spanish translation, O Dios, que profundos me son tus pensamientos. Infinito es el conjunto de ellos. Oh God, how profound to me are your thoughts. Infinite is the whole ensemble of them, the whole array. El conjunto de ellos, all of them. Infinite. How profound to me, Lord, your thoughts, your works. They're more than the sands. That's a very enigmatic passage here that also could be translated, were I to come to the end, I would still be with you. So the message, the refrain of this psalm over and over and over is, no matter what, I am with God because God is with me. I know God because I am known by God. Then we have a few verses that modulate into 
what sounds to be a rather negative key, but let's just read them and not gloss over them and try to make some sense of them within this very personal psalm. Psalm 139, verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God, and that men of blood would depart from me, men who maliciously defy you, who lift themselves up against you for evil. Do I not hate them that hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe them that rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. So it's interesting that the psalmist is counting these people as his enemies precisely because they're the enemies of God. Because they hate God, he hates them. Again, this is the Old Testament context, the Hebrew scripture. From a Christian perspective, we have a bit of alteration with the meaning here. The first thing that can be said across the Judeo-Christian tradition is this honest admission of wickedness on earth that seems to disrupt that recognition of the image of God within us. And we may cry out to God, God, why this wickedness on earth? Why are these things happening? Even threatening the psalmist's own heart, tempted to wickedness. But I'd like to reference St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. And I'll just quote verse 12. St. Paul writes, For our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but with the principalities, with the powers, with the world rulers of this present darkness, with the evil spirits in the high places. In other words, the demons, Satan and the fallen angels we call demons. This is who our struggle really is with. And we have to pray deliverance from their influence on us, their oppression of us, their bondage of us, their interference with our lives. And the church gives us all these prayers of minor exorcism to keep us at a distance from the demonic influence in our lives. So I think this is an important biblical text from the New Testament to read alongside this text of the Old Testament so that we don't end up hating a beloved child of God. We could hate the sin that someone does, even that we do ourselves. But above all, we have to realize that sin is provoked by the demons, and that's who our real struggle is with. So we don't want to be caught shadow boxing, like St. Paul says. But we want to take aim where we need to with the weapons of the Spirit that St. Paul gives us further in this passage from Ephesians chapter 6 when he talks about the, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit and the shield of righteousness. So altogether, we have then a movement back to the last two verses of the psalm that end on a more positive note. 
rounding out this most beautiful text and song. Verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. It reminds me of the hymn, Let there be peace on earth, and let it begin with me. Or as Jesus talks about, don't be so quick to point out the speck in your neighbor's eye when you have a plank in your own. So the psalmist goes back to this great work of introspection and prays that God tries him, knows his thoughts, knows his heart. The psalm ends where it begins, with the knowledge of God about his beloved creature. And he prays that God would uproot any wicked way within him and lead him in the way everlasting or also could be translated the ancient way. In sum, Psalm 139, a poetic description of divine omniscience, that God knows all. And because God knows everything, everything exists. God's knowledge gives being to beings, to put it philosophically. But not only does God know us, God loves us. God's knowledge is a loving knowledge. God loves us without giving up on us, ever. God's love for us is entirely unconditional. And this makes perfect sense. Because if God's love was conditional, it would not be perfect love. Perfect love is without condition, without requirement. It loves because it loves to love. Simply that. So in hearing this Psalm 139 and a bit of exegesis on it, may you realize the immensity of the Lord's love for you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the only you there ever was or ever will be. And may you embrace the truth about yourself, your personal identity, that you are a beloved child of God and his love for you is unconditional, without measure or limitation. Thank you for joining me on the Catholic Fragments podcast, where you are equipped to think toward the whole, to pray from the heart, and to live as a witness 